Well, good morning, everyone. How is everybody doing? Good. And good morning, everybody on Facebook. Thank you for being with us this morning. And I just want to do a big shout out for everybody that's running a marathon right now. <laughs> Half marathon, full marathon. We're there with you in prayer. So. I also want to take a minute and thank the Boy Scouts for setting up our uh, coffee and donuts and bagels this morning. So thank you guys very, very much. <laughs> and doing the cleanup yesterday, they, everybody who joined them to do that, thank you. So we appreciate that. For anybody who doesn't know me, my name is Ashley Garib, and I'm the Assistant Adult Spiritual Leader and Women's Discipleship Leader here at the church. So I'm very excited to be here this morning and sharing this message um, about justifying grace. So um, last week, David shared with you all that we are going to be doing a three-part series on grace. And the first was prevenient grace. And it was prevenient, justifying, and sanctifying. So <clears throat> he shared with us that God's prevenient grace precedes us. It is available for all of us and how God even waits on us before we ever commit to him or know him, even while we are yet sinners. Remember how he spoke about the front porch in the image of the house? And while God draws people to Christ, he respects our free will and he waits patiently on us. Today, this week, we're going to be discussing justifying grace. And once we commit to following Christ and we decide to shed our past life and leave our sins behind and trans transform ourselves and turn to Christ. I am a woman who stands before you has tr who has truly experienced justifying grace. Yes, I was raised in church. I was baptized as a child. I attended church every Sunday, summer youth camps. But I was also someone who did all the required boxes, checked everything off one by one so that I had a saved soul. I was raised with the belief of guilt and shame. And as soon as I was old enough, I left the church, left that way of life, and left home. When I was 22 years old, I was very distanced from my family, and I made the choice to marry a non-believer. Over the next 12 years, I suffered extremely difficult and trying times. My parents didn't even know for the first year of my marriage that I was married. I kept that from them because I was so distant from them. After 12 years of suffering very difficult times, um, although I will share that I did have some blessings out of that. I have two beautiful children. <laughs> and um, I did find the power of prayer through those trying times. Um, I picked up the pieces of my broken life, and I decided to become a single mom. I returned to Christ, and I found forgiveness, redemption, and the grace that God can give you. But during that time, I did not have a community. I did not have anyone rallying around me in this newfound Christ love 
that I had found. So I didn't have that support system of believers. And so it was very easy for me to fall back into the childhood beliefs of the guilt and the shame that I had from when I was young. And because of this, I found myself drinking a lot. I would talk to Jesus in the morning and during devotions, and by 4.30 in the afternoon, I was pulling a, pouring a whiskey. Now, my grandmother would have probably said that that was just the good old Irish Catholic in us. <laughs> I was a little afraid that that was the good old alcoholics in us. <laughs> so this went on for about two years of my life. And then finally, my daughter came to me and said, point blank, Mom, stop. She told me, Mom, you are truly the only person that I have in my life that I can depend on, and I need you to quit. And that was when I realized she was right. Something had to change. I had the head knowledge of Jesus, but nothing had transcended into my heart, my soul, and into my life. At age 37... I found this church. At age 37, I found a community and people that were going to help me. And by age 40, I found my calling in ministry to help other people. Um, I went truly from a place where I never felt worthy of love. True, unashamed God, Christ love. To where now, it's almost a little overwhelming, <laughs> that kind of love. Romans 3, 23, 24 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Salvation is a free and divine gift. It is not earned, but received by what Christ did for us on the cross we are able to have faith in Christ and know that our sins are forgiven and that we are made righteous. We are truly and wholly created new. Our old life dies. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. All this from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. I don't know about y'all, but that makes me want to leap for joy. If you look up the exact meaning of reconciliation, it means exchange or change. I love this meaning, because Christ literally exchanged himself in us. So he literally is now dwelling in us when we accept him. That is something to proclaim, sing, and shout from the rooftops about. What we just sang about, those were perfect songs because he literally now dwells within us. So, but why, why does this not always feel like that? For some, absolutely yes. The transformation, whew, it just changes them, literally. But for others of us, finding this newfound Christian faith can be scary, kind of awkward, and overwhelming. Like I mentioned, for me, it wasn't until my mid to late 30s that I finally had the understanding of what real forgiveness 
And Christ's love was able to feel and have that joy deep inside. For some, the feeling of unworthiness of Christ's love is daunting. We as humans find it very difficult to accept something for free when we live in a world where absolutely nothing is for free. And we are used to human conditional love. And for us to explain to somebody that our Heavenly Father loves us unconditionally, no matter what we do, that's very hard to grasp when we're used to this world of conditional love. And then quite honestly, some people just want the checkbox to say, I've saved myself. My soul saved, I'm good. But they don't want to live with that vulnerability and giving up control of their life. When really, who in here feels like they actually have control of anything? I know I don't. I don't wake up in the morning feeling I have control. My kids wake up and then I've lost all control. Justifying grace allows us to get right or realign and reconcile our relationship back to God through Jesus. In the Methodist Book of Discipline, it says this, God reaches out to a person with accepting and pardoning love. The moment of justification brings about a true personal change. This change includes feelings of peace, hope, and joy. Such an experience may be sudden and dramatic or gradual and cumulative, yet it is part of an ongoing process. Take the story of the woman at the well. Jesus not only speaks to a woman, but he speaks to a Samaritan woman. He tells her about the living water, and then he tells her, go tell your husband and share this good message. Of course, what is the woman doing? She's sitting there in her mind, like most women, you know, overanalyzing, thinking like crazy. And she's thinking, okay, well, I'm not married, have been five times, and I'm currently living with a man. So what does Jesus do? Does he stop, judge her, start judging her, start ridiculing her, telling her what a horrible person she is? No. He calms her, forgives her, tells her to change her ways, and then go and spread the good news. She immediately feels loved, forgiven, is so excited to go spread this news. She changes her life immediately, runs into town, and tells everybody about what, she's, what has just happened to her. Now, of course, I'm summing up the story, right? But go with me. So she is so excited about this and how she feels. This is justified grace. This is what happens to you when you transform your life. Justifying grace moves us from the front porch, what we talked about last week with David, from the front porch through the front door of the house. Now our sins are forgiven, salvation is sure, and we are new creations. This is a very exciting time, as I mentioned, but also a time where a church needs to come alongside. We, as people who are committed to following Christ, need to come alongside these new believers. As a new Christ follower decides on this new way of life, we need to teach them and model for them and help them. This is a very emotional and challenging time for some people. Some people might go on that mountain high experience 
Has this ever happened to some people when they go, either go to church camp or they become a new believer and they're very excited about this and they want to soak up all that they can? But they can also fall off that mountain pretty quickly if it's not sustained and somebody doesn't come alongside them and really help them through this transformation in their life. Some other new believers, they can accept this information and they can become a Christ follower, but then they might just feel, okay, so now what? What happens? What's going to happen now? I don't know. And if somebody doesn't come along beside them and help them through this, they can just go along their life and live completely like they were before and not ever truly experience that joy of transforming their life. So it is our part, it is our job to say, as a church, to come alongside and help new believers transform their lives. Go from exploring and wondering what it's like to become a Christ believer to actually experience that joy of salvation. David mentioned our pathway of discipleship last week here at Rockbridge. This takes each of us from exploring, transforming, maturing, to centering. Once you move from exploring and you experience justified grace, you will start transforming in your faith. It is critical that you stay connected to community, as this is when you will feel most attacked by Satan. Those words can kind of sound a little scary, but it is absolutely true. And for anybody who has experienced this, getting closer to God is when Satan attacks you most. As we become clearer in our understanding of God's teaching, Satan will use every weakness that you have. And for me, I experienced that. He used my weaknesses, my insecurities, my doubts, my fears. He used my family's alcoholism to get to me. This is why the transforming stage is so important. And here are some of the ways we can come alongside you here at Rockbridge to help you. There's Rockbridge 101. As you guys saw last week, we did that. And we had some wonderful families that chose to partner with us. This is what we had, um, we discussed what Rockbridge is all about when we had Rockbridge 101. Our mission and our vision and what we would like to, what it would be like to become a partner with us. We have Disciples Path. This is what it means to be disciples. It helps you understand the five commitments we make when we join as partners. Randy mentioned those this morning. Prayers, your daily prayer and scriptures, your presence, worship, and life groups, your gifts, financial giving, your service, spiritual gifts, and witness, sharing our faith. It's very important during this time to be able to share with others your faith and you believe, what you believe. Animate faith in Bible class. These are all courses digging deeper into and understanding your personal faith. An intimate setting to ask those questions and working out your faith and learning. Walk to Emmaus. It's an experience of Christian spiritual renewal and formation. Don't be scared. I really seriously thought this was a really long walk. <laughs> like one of those journeys where you're walking for like miles and miles and talking about your faith. So I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. It's not. Don't worry. <laughs> I actually want to do this journey. So, One-on-one <laughs> um, -on -one mentoring and growing in Christ. This is where you have those accountability partners. This is where you dig a little bit deeper and just make sure that you don't get lost on this journey. Like I mentioned before, I was getting head knowledge 
and nothing was resonating because I didn't have those accountability partners saying, hey, how's it going? Philip Yancey is an author, if you guys have heard of him, um, who I really, really like. Um, he's a very good writer who does all sorts of different things, but um, he has a daily devotion that I read. Um, and he has one that I'm just going to read a little blurb about. Don't worry, I'm not reading the whole thing. Um, but he has a little blurb, and it talks about families. And we all are stuck with families, right? Some we love, some we don't. We take them, we leave them, all that kind of thing. Um, but this one that he's writing about is how you're born into a family. And there's one little thing that I'm going to read you. Family is the one human institution we have no choice over. We get in simply by being born, and as a result, we are involuntarily thrown together with a menagerie of strange and unlike people. Church calls for another step, to voluntarily choose to band together with a strange menagerie because of a common bond in Jesus Christ. I have found that such a community more resembles a family than any other human institution. Henry Nguyen once defined a community as a place where the person you least want to live with always lives. His definition applies equally to the group that gathers each Thanksgiving and the group that congregates each Sunday morning. Church, we are justified by grace. We are forgiven. We are made new. Let us share and grow in this amazing gift together. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.